Look, if you would, at Job 21 and verse number 15. The Bible says, What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what doth the profit, or what profit should we have if we pray unto him? What is the Almighty that we should serve him? Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being here at West Coast Baptist College and, Lord, this chapel service. And I pray, Lord, that you would take these next few moments and take your precious word, and I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and lives. Lord, may you use your word and use this time for your honor and for your glory, and we'll be careful to give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. What does it profit a man if he should serve him? What is the Almighty? You know, how you answer that question is going to determine much in your life. In fact, it was A.W. Tozer who said, one's perception of God will determine everything else. How do you see God? What is your perception of God? What is the Almighty? You know, really, what we know of God this morning, we know because God has revealed it to us. We only know about God what God has given to us, and we are very limited in our understanding and in our comprehension of God. Truly, God is unmeasurable. And how do you comprehend something that is unmeasurable? Truly, God is uncomparable. There is nothing you and I know this morning that compares to God. Isaiah had it right when he said, whom will you liken unto God? There is nothing that we know on this earth that we could liken to God. Nothing on this earth that we could ever measure to God. He is unmeasurable. He is uncomprehendable. Who is the Almighty? Think about it for a moment. How do you measure the Almighty? How do you measure the power of the Almighty. When the Bible describes him as being omnipotent, all-powerful, the angel said to Mary, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And you and I know the answer. With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. What do you know that is all-powerful? How, how do you measure the power of God? How do you measure the goodness of God? When the Bible says in Psalms 52, in verse number one, the goodness of God endureth continually. It never ends. Continually. You know, you and I each have a beginning. God has no beginning. He has no end. He is continual. And the Bible says his goodness is continually. How do you measure that? How do you measure the Almighty's joy? When the Bible says in Psalm 16 and verse 11, in thy presence is fullness of joy. The word fullness has the idea of being satisfied or satisfaction. The joy in the presence of God, there is satisfaction. The satisfied. What in this earth truly satisfies? or is full of joy. Oh, there might be a, a momentary joy or a momentary sadness, but what is in uh, the full joy, full satisfaction? Um, that's only in the presence of God. So how do you measure? 
How do you measure that? How do you measure the peace of God? When the Bible describes it in Philippians 4, 17, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding. In other words, it's so far beyond our understanding what it means to be at peace, content, the peace of God. It's, it's beyond understanding. How do you measure that? How do you measure the wisdom of God? When the Bible says in Romans 11 and verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Um, God's wisdom is so far beyond us. I mean, it's unsearchable. It's, it's, it's past our finding out. How do you measure then the wisdom of God? How do you measure the mercy of God? When the Bible says in Psalms 86 and verse number 15, but thou, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. He is plenteous in mercy. How do you measure that? How do you measure the protection of God? When the Bible describes him in Proverbs 8, 18 in verse 10, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous that runneth into it are safe. The name, just the name of the Lord is described as a strong tower. How do you measure something like that? Listen, God is unmeasurable. He is uncomparable. And many times he is uncomprehendable. His ways are much higher than our ways. And his thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. Sure, the world might say it this way. Who is the Almighty that I should serve him? That, that might be how the world would say it today. But when I think about what I know of God and how little I know of God, I say, what is the Almighty? How do I not serve Him? How do I not live for the Almighty? Psalms 8 and verse number 4, the psalmist asks a good question. The psalmist asks, what is man? Have you thought about that question? Who am I? Who is John Getch? What is man? Well, the Bible gives us some insight into that. Romans chapter 3 is the indictment against man. In the eternal courtrooms of heaven, men are found guilty before God. Men are condemned before God, and we are condemned by our own sin. In fact, the Bible makes it clear, there is none righteous, no, not one. Before God, what is man? Men are guilty. Men are sinners. And because of that sin, we are left helpless. For the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is Death, the price for my sin is separation from God. What is man? Guilty, condemnable, sinner, helpless, hopeless. Revelation 3, in describing the church there in the letter, the Bible says, Thou art wretched, thou art poor, thou art blind, thou art naked. What is man? 
But the psalmist goes on to say, what is man that thou are mindful of him? Think of the Almighty. Think of the little that we know of the Almighty, uncomprehendable, unmeasurable. And then when you think about who I am, I'm poor, I'm blind, I'm naked, I'm miserable, I am a wretched sinner, helpless, hopeless, condemnable. And yet he is mindful of me. God put thought towards me. God thought of John Getch. What is man? That thou are mindful of him. But God did not just think on me. And God did just not think about me. But the psalmist goes on to say that thou are mindful of him and that thou visitest him. Not only did God think about me and know me in my misery and in my sin and in my wretchedness, but he came and visited me and took upon flesh and was made in the likeness of man and he became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. He did not just think about John Getch, but he came and visited John Getch and he went to that cross of Calvary and he died for me. What is the Almighty? I'll tell you who the Almighty is to John gets today. He is my Savior. All the world might say, what is the Almighty that thou shouldst live for Him or that I should serve Him? I'll tell you who the Almighty is. He is the one who died for me. How you answer that question is going to determine an awful lot. It's going to determine everything else. Who is the Almighty to you? But it most certainly will determine how you answer the next question here in Job 21. For he asks a second question here. If you would look at verse 15 again, he says, What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray to him? How you answer the first question will certainly determine how you answer the second one. What doth it profit me if I should pray unto him? All the world would look at prayer as nothing more than an empty religious formality. But for as a child of God this morning, prayer is no formality. Prayer is certainly not empty. It's my livelihood. It's my lifeline. What doth it profit me if I should pray to Almighty? Well, how could I even put a price on it? How could you put a value on the price of prayer? The profit. What comes to me because of prayer? How could you value it? How could you even measure? Oh, I know the world doesn't understand it. The Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are foolishness unto him. When it comes to prayer, they don't get it. It's just a religious formality. But for the child of God, it is much, much more than that. It's something that we hold dear. It's something that we value greatly. 
that great invitation from our great high priest that says, come boldly unto the throne of grace and find help and grace in your time of need. Boy, that's a great comfort to me. I don't know about you, but I so often find myself in this life feeling like I really don't have a lot of control. Circumstances, ministry, life comes at you pretty quick. And sometimes you feel like, boy, I don't have the answers. I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to handle this. I, I feel stuck. Years ago, my, my wife came to me with an opportunity. And one of the bucket list items on my wife's list, and she has her bucket list of things she wants to do, and one of them was to ride in a hot air balloon. That's not on my bucket list, never was, and it will never be again. But it was on her bucket list. And there was a lady in our church who was a regional manager for Marriott, and uh, their hotel was sponsoring an air balloon for the balloon festival in Yuma. And that happens every year in uh, Yuma, a balloon festival. And they take off from the river, uh, Colorado River, and they go across the valley to the other side and land over there, and it's just kind of this big thing. Well, the balloons are sponsored, and then the sponsorship can have a couple of riders to ride on their behalf. And she said, she said, I know that you've always wanted to ride an air balloon. I'm the one in charge of finding riders. If you and your husband would like to, if pastor and you'd like to go, I can, I can have you ride in the air balloon for Marriott. So my wife was saying, so can we? Well, I said, well, it's Saturday. I mean, I, I'm busy Saturday. I've got a lot of things going on Saturday, you know, with our soul winning and getting ready for Sunday and visits and things like that. She said, well, we take off at 7 a.m. and we land at 8 a.m. You could be at the church by 8.30 and be there plenty of time. Um, and she talked me into it. So we had to be there at the park at like 6 o'clock in the morning and we met this balloon pilot, this air balloon pilot and and uh, boy, he was a character. And he's kind of talking about the balloon and how it works. And, you know, I'm looking at this thing. You know, I had never really been up close to an air balloon, but I always thought the baskets were just a little bigger than that. I mean, they just, it just looked a little small. You know, I'm kind of a big guy and I don't know. I'm thinking him, her, me, I, that, that basket's going to get small real quick. But, you know, he assured everything is good and he's been doing this for years and, and uh, everything looks good, you know. And so the time comes to get in the basket. And so the three of us, in that basket and we say our goodbyes and pretty soon it lifts off it lifts off the ground and he kind of walked us through how it works and how you pilot an air balloon and talked about the wind currents and uh, you know the different things and how it operates and just kind of talked about the whole balloon and, and as soon as we got up of course you could see and it was beautiful it was a beautiful morning and uh, we told him what we uh, what we did as a pastor church and he asked where the church was he actually flew the thing right over our church and and uh, we had we had a good time but as we we're going along on this air balloon there was one thing that he really never really talked about, and that is how you land an air balloon. And as we were getting closer to the end of this ride, I started thinking about that. How do you land an air balloon? And so I asked, I asked him, I said, hey, where are we landing? He said, well, everybody's supposed to land. They've got an area set up for us. And he named the park. It's around the, the water tower there in Yuma. And I said, well, that makes sense. There's a lot of grass. There's not a lot of grass in Yuma, but that park has the grass. And so I thought, well, that makes uh, sense. And he said, you just have to time it right. And you kind of come in. He said, when you land, he said, it kind of 
uh, turns the bass a little bit. You just lean to the one side, stand up. And then, and then uh, you know, he's kind of talking through, hey, it sounded simple, you know. And so I saw the grab. There was the park. And he's kind of, other, and other balloons were coming in and landing. And, and uh, it looked pretty easy for them. And so I'm thinking, all right, I think we can handle this, you know. And, and so as we're coming close, pretty soon we flew over the park. And now they're all behind us. And I said, I thought we were landing. He said, well, he said, I missed that jet stream. I said, I, he said, I missed it. We went, we went over it. I said, okay. Now where are we going to land? You know, he says, well, he said, I'm, I'm looking. Well, I thought, well, I thought I'd help him. I'll look too. And so we started looking as I'm looking for anything green, you know, and, and there was a golf course out there. I said, what about the golf course? He said, yeah, that might work. He said, let me see if I can get this balloon in the right place, you know. And so he's trying to get that right uh, jet stream that would help us get down in that. And he's trying to find it. Golf course came and went. Well, after the golf course, really, there's just a bunch of farmers' lettuce fields. And then it's Mexico. <laughs> and we're only several miles from Mexico. And so I'm thinking, now what are we going to do? Because he had told us before we left that Yuma was kind of a tough place to fly because you could only land at that park because the farmers um, would not let you land in their fields because of their lettuce crops. And if you land a balloon in there, it, it takes several heads of lettuce, costs them money. And so they're not allowed to land in lettuce fields. And so now all that's left is lettuce fields and Mexico. And so I'm like, where are we going to land? And he says, well, we've got to find a place. And we need to find one quickly. So we're looking, we're looking. And pretty soon I, I hear him say, hey, that, that yard over there I think is big enough. And there was a, one of the farmer's houses had a yard of grass, there was some grass there. And he said, I think that's big enough. I think we can hit that. And so he starts to move around and we're coming down there and we're coming in and it looks like we're gonna hit it. It looks like we're gonna make it there, but we're coming in hot. I mean, we're coming in fast. And he just says, hey, hang on. We've got to land this thing, hang on. And so I'm hanging on to a, basket, you know, and, and so we hit, we hit ground, and when we hit, I'll tell you what, that thing flipped us on the side like that, I come crashing down, my wife lands on me, he lands on my wife, and now we're kind of dragging, the balloon's just kind of taking us, and, and uh, the wind kind of picked up, and, and uh, the basket then came back up, it kind of pulled us into the farmer's lettuce field, and it had just been freshly planted in, in lettuce there, and the ground was nice and soft, and so we're kind of dragging in there, and then the balloon caught wind, and it was starting to go back up again. And he says, John, jump out real quick and hold the rope, hold us down, we can't take off again, jump out. Well, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. He said, jump out, so I jumped out. And so I jumped out of this hair balloon and I landed in this farmer's field. And like I said, it had been freshly planted. And when I did, I'm telling you, I hit that mud and it went all the way up to mid-thigh. I'm standing in mid-thigh mud and I'm reaching for the rope, but it's... I mean, it's gone. My wife is now with this man headed to Mexico and I'm, I'm in this lettuce field. And I don't know, I'm probably 20 yards out into this lettuce field and I'm, I'm, I'm up to my thighs in mud and there's nobody around. The balloon, my wife's going that direction. And, and I, I quickly realized, I mean, I wasn't, I mean, that stuff's like cement. I mean, I'm in there. I mean, I'm, I'm stuck. And then as I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do, how am I going to get out of here, the sprinklers come on. <laughs> and I'm getting pelted with these sprinklers and mud. And I tried to dig out, but then it was sticking to my arms. I mean, I was just... I was stuck. There was no one there to help me. In fact, I wasn't sure there was anybody that knew I was there other than the people going to Mexico. <laughs> and I realized there was absolutely nothing I could do. 
You know, sometimes in life you can get to those places. I, I don't see an out here. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I'm overwhelmed here. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, prayer connects my nothingness to God's almightiness. Prayer connects the almighty to my nothingness. Now, I just have a few minutes left, but I want to close by taking you to six passages of scriptures. And I want you just to think about the value of prayer. With that thought in mind, prayer connects my nothingness to God's almightiness. Real quick, we're just going to look at them, read them, and then we'll be done. Would you look first with me at Isaiah chapter 40? Isaiah chapter 40. You'll know all of these verses, but how blessed they are. And think about Isaiah 40 and verse number 29. Isaiah 40 verse 29 says, He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but... They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. So here's man. Faint. Weary. Weak. Here's God. Omnipotent. All-powerful. Nothing too hard. And what connects my nothingness? To his almightiness, they that wait upon the Lord. Prayer. Go, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Would you look at Matthew 7 with me? Another familiar passage of Scripture. Look at verse number 7. Matthew 7, 7, he says... Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks fish, will give him a serpent? If ye then... Being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? So here's God, full of, of goodness, willing to give goodness. Here's man in tremendous need. And what connects my need to God's goodness? Ask prayer. John 16. Turn to the gospel of John, chapter number 16. Look at verse 23 and 24. John 16. 
Verse number 23, and in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it thee. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. So here's man, misery, unsatisfied, discontent. Here's God in his presence is fullness of joy, satisfaction. What connects my misery, my discontentment with God's satisfaction and joy? Prayer. Philippians chapter 4. Doing well, just a couple more. Philippians 4. Look at verse number 6. You'll recognize these verses. Philippians 4 and verse 6, he says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He says, Be worried for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. In other words, there is nothing that is worthy of your anxiety today. Nothing. Nothing is worthy of anxiety. Nothing is worthy of your worry. Instead of worry, instead of being anxious, he says, in prayer and supplication. And look what happens in verse number seven. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So here's the God of all peace, the Almighty, the God of contentment and peace. And here is man full of worry, fear, anxiety. And what brings the peace of God to the heart and mind of the one in fear and anxiety? prayer. James chapter 1. James 1, look at verse number 5. James 1, 5, he says, if any of you lack wisdom. You know, sometimes God asks questions not for his benefit, but for ours. And this would be one of those. If any of you lack wisdom, he knows we lack wisdom. And by the way, it'd be good for us to understand we lack wisdom too. Wisdom? Lack? Duh. Yes, I lack wisdom. Look what he says. He says, let him ask. Let him ask of God that giveth to all, all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So here's man. I don't know anything. I don't, have, I don't know the answers. I, I don't have the solutions. Here's man in my frailty and in my, in my little understanding. And here's God. His ways are past finding out the riches of his knowledge and understanding. And what connects my lack of understanding to the almighty wisdom of God? Ask. Prayer. Last one, Matthew chapter 26. Look at Matthew 26 with me, and I'll close this. Look at verse number 41. He's talking to his disciples here. 
in that garden of Gethsemane, and he says in verse number 41 of Matthew 26, he says, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I gotta tell you, my flesh is weak. Oh, my spirit is willing, but that's exactly right. My flesh so often is weak. I am prone to fall to temptation. I am prone to the lusts of my own flesh. And what does he say here? What's going to keep me from temptation? What's going to keep me from falling prey to my own lusts? Watch and pray. That ye enter not into temptation. The protective hand of God from temptation and the snares of the devil and the lusts of my own flesh, the protective hand of God and the tremendous need is connected by prayer. What doth it profit me if I should pray? Well, how do I measure it? I can't put a price tag on it. It connects my nothingness to God's almightiness. So there I am, 20 yards out into a farmer's lettuce field, up to my thighs in mud that I can't escape, caked all over my arms, and I had no idea anybody knew I was there. And after a while, pretty soon, here comes this white pickup truck. Pulls into that driveway and comes down next to the farmer's house, and these three young men jump out. They start yelling at me, we saw you land, we saw what happened, we're going to help you. I'm like, well, you better not drive that truck out here, that thing ain't getting out of here. You can't come out here, otherwise you'd be in the same predicament I'm in. So I'm kind of thinking, what are they going to do to help me? And they pulled out this rope. And they threw the rope to me. It took a couple of times to get it to me, but finally I got it. And they said, tie it around your waist. All right. Tied it around my waist. And they tied it to the back of their truck. <laughs> they kicked that thing in gear and dragged me 20 yards out of that lettuce field. And I'll tell you what, I was caked in mud. My shoes were still in the field. I was glad my pants were not. <laughs> but when my feet stepped on that solid ground, I could not have gotten there on my own. <laughs> I was completely helpless. But someone had no idea who they were. They had no idea who I was, but someone threw me a rope. And sometimes in life we can feel like that. I don't know what to do here. I, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what decision to make. I, I don't know. I don't have the answers here. I want to just tell you this morning, someone has thrown you a rope. And it's called prayer. And it's not just someone. It's the Almighty. And He is mindful of you. And He loves you. And He knows where you're at today. And he's throwing you a rope and says, wouldn't you come to me? What doth it profit me if I should pray? So I ask you as we close, how much value are you putting on prayer in your life? How much value? 
I suppose we could measure this morning how much you and I value prayer by how much we prayed this morning. How much do you value prayer? How much does John Getch truly value prayer? Anybody can preach the sermon. Anybody can do that. But the real answer to how much John Getch values prayer is how much did John Getch pray last week? And that's your answer. Connects my nothingness to God's almightiness. Don't get so busy. It won't take long. You'll find yourself in that field. Don't get too busy to depend on him through prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here in this chapel. And Lord, it's been a long time, but I remember sitting in these pews and listening to preaching and going to classes and in Bible college, and I remember the biggest thing I struggled with in Bible college was just my daily walk, my daily dependence in you. And that time alone in prayer. And Lord, on my own, I can get myself in quite a few jams. I'm pretty good at that. The truth is, I need you every moment of every day, and I need to be looking to you, depending on you in every area of my life. And Lord, that rope is there. You've thrown it. You've given it. The invitation is there. Oh, would we not value the prayer that you have given to us? And wouldn't we grab that rope and tie it around our waist and hang on, depending on you? Help us to value the blessed office of prayer this morning. In Jesus' name.